I want to take just a minute and introduce our speaker today. No, I am not speaking. Um, Alan Kunkel has been a part of Kennesaw Family Life Church for several years now. He and his wife, Jane, are pillars in this church, and we love them. Alan went to North Central University, got his degree uh, and a ministerial pastoral degree. Um, he doesn't serve as a pastor. He is retired now, but every once in a while, we get a chance to hear him speak. And if you want to know his original calling, what he wanted to do and what he did for several years was, was radio. He has a phenomenal radio voice. I love to hear him speak. And so you're going to get the privilege of doing that. I asked him to share on a couple chapters out of 2 Corinthians that had to do with giving, that had to do with that side of scripture. And it's a part, an area that I know is near and dear to Alan's heart. So I pray that you would enjoy it and look forward to it. So without me talking for very long, here's Alan Kunkel. Hello. Today I'd like to share with you a bit of background information, first of all, on the Apostle Paul, the text in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 that we're going to reflect on today, and the city of Corinth itself, and to the church in Corinth where Paul directed this letter. Most scholarly documents through the ages agree that this little Hebrew man, Saul, whose Roman name was Paul, was barely more than three cubits high. And for those of you who have not recently built an ark, a cubit is about 18 inches, a foot and a half. So he was barely more than three cubits high. And for those of you who have not done that, uh, he was approximately five feet tall, reportedly partly bald, near nearsighted, bandy-legged, and complete with a crooked nose. So the understanding that the man most responsible for turning a small Jewish sect into a faith embraced by multiplied millions down through history, he himself was not an imposing figure. Of course, he was inspired and led by the Holy Spirit. He was not tall, but early documents record him as being athletic, muscular, and strong. Not too surprising, especially for those of us who may have been rather small growing up in the early years in school. But all of the documents down through the ages tell of this tent maker turned apostle and how he had a fire of faith. His zeal that caused all kinds of crowds, large and small, to at least listen to the message that drove him on. In his letters, on multiplied occasions, he himself referred to his small stature, his feeble strength and his lack of a dominating presence. Uh, we all should be so small and weak. Other than Christ himself, no one stood as tall or profound than this little Jewish man whom the power of Rome itself could not intimidate. 
interesting that God always has a man to serve his purpose. Imposing figures like Samson or King Saul did not always achieve God's purposes for their lives. But then physically unimpressive people like Gideon, the prophet Samuel, King David, and the Apostle Paul all seemingly fulfilled all that God had for them to do. Now the city of Corinth itself was the capital of the Roman province Achaia. Now the rest of the world knew it as Greece, but since Rome controlled the world, they could call it whatever they wanted. At that time, Corinth was the most important city in Achaia, or Greece. Athens was still the center of education for the Greek culture, but Corinth was the city that dominated in terms of province, uh, business activity, um, all kinds of you know, things that in, affected culture and life at that time. All of the commerce that went between Rome and the eastern part of the empire went through the harbor at Corinth or on the roads that passed nearby. In Roman times, Corinth was a city of wealth and luxury, at least compared to the rest of the world, and it was also a center of immorality. Hmm not unlike the world today. As we look into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and at the end of chapter 7, Paul has just finished expressing his gladness at the restoration of the fellowship that had been broken between himself and the church that he had started in Corinth. As we look into 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, it's important that we remember the desire of Paul's heart. It's easy to see in all of his letters. His desire was to have all believers become true, devoted disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to make all of their decisions in life based upon the gospel message and the principles demonstrated in the life of Jesus to live as God wants, and not to be selfish about it. We today are no different. Whether giving or voting or caring for our neighbor, using God's principles should be our standard for all of our decision-making. In verses 1 through 5 in chapter 8, Paul relates to the Corinthians and how the churches in Macedonia had wanted to give an offering to the members of the church that were in need in Jerusalem, even at the risk of jeopardizing their own financial well-being. In chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, Paul wrote, So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you, and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, 
I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that his poverty, or through it, he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that others should experience some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can give to those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you are in need. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Well, Paul is giving them the opportunity to demonstrate their love by their eagerness to give. In verses 16 through 23, he explains the stewardship or the management of their giving. Paul understood human nature and the suspicions that suspicions of selfishness that Satan could put into the minds of people. And so Paul explained how the collections for the poor would be administered with reputable leaders from both the Macedonian and the Corinthian church. They would carry the money. Paul is doing everything here he can to avoid even the appearance of temptation or the possibility of sin, you know, in case he carried the money himself. So chapter 9 starts out with Paul acknowledging the giving spirit of the Corinthian church and how it has been a point of godly pride for him that they were so anxious to be generous. Chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 reads, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. I am sending these brothers to be sure that you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all that I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, 
not one given grudgingly. Paul wants it clear that there's no arm twisting going on in connection with this offering, but that he had taken them at their word. As is common throughout Scripture, Paul uses an agricultural example to teach a godly principle when he says in verse 6, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your hearts how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. It should be exciting and encouraging to us to know that in God's desire for us to be like Jesus, He will be faithful to us as He has always promised. Now chapter 9, verses 10 through 14 read, and please catch this, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them. And it will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. In those verses, can you feel Paul's appreciation of God's love and faithfulness? Can you feel Paul's desire for the Corinthians to love God and to enjoy the wonderful relationship the Father desires for all who demonstrate a loving, generous, and obedient heart? That's those who demonstrate a loving, generous, and obedient heart. I pray you will take those thoughts with you this week. Remember that the ultimate test of change toward godliness is a change that continues to happen to us Monday through Saturday. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26, God instructed Moses to have Aaron, the high priest, and his sons who would succeed him to bless the people as they departed from the tabernacle. Chapter 2 starts with, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Verse 27 reads, Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. And God bless you with a good week.